Sunday morning, and I am deferring from the message last week. I'm going to try to begin to finish up something I had started several weeks ago. We'll get back to demons next week. There's no such thing as demons. It's just self. And uh, when I make those statements, I've got, I did a series on demons several years ago. Went for about three years on on Sunday night or Wednesday night, I can't remember. Uh, it's called The Doctrine of the Devil. Went into all these verses on demons and showed you what they said they were in the first century. Uh, I've been talking to you about something that's very interesting because it ties together the covenant of God. Oops, let me erase all this pre-lesson lesson while I was reading the emails. Uh, I've been talking to you about several things, covenant. Okay, I need to, don't I? All right. Let me erase that. The covenant. And when you find covenant in the New Testament, it's the same word as testament. It's the word diatheke. It means last will and testament, what it means. The covenant, I said here a few days ago, the covenant started in Genesis, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. Create is the word bara, means to cut and make fat. When the Jews said fat, they don't mean what we mean when we say fat. What we mean is this cellulite on our side that makes it hang over our belt. That's not what they meant. They meant the richest, the richest of the wheat and the cattle, the best that the land had to give. So that's a righteous word in the first verse. It comes from the word B-E-R-I-Y-T-H, which is the word covenant. Now I went through this the other day, and I'm not going to go through it again other than just to say that when the earth became without form and void, without form, is the word tohu, T-O-H-U-W. Without form, uh, tohu uh, means vain. Well, that's exactly opposite to bara. Uh, without form, void and darkness. These are all evil words. And Isaiah 45:18 says, 45:18. God says, everything that I created, bara, I didn't create in vain. In vain uh, is the word 
tohu. He said, my creation was not in vain. Therefore, Satan, when he was cast into the earth in Revelation 12, Satan, his first nature is found in Genesis 1-2. Genesis 1-2. And Genesis 1-1, there had to be millions of years between verse 1 and verse 2. There was some kind of creation in verse 1 that we don't know what it was like. Nobody. These were not six days of creation. They were six days of making and forming. God says in, in the 20th chapter of Exodus, when he gives the Ten Commandments, in the 20th chapter he said, I made the earth in six days. Now that sounds like that's contradicting what I'm saying. Made is not, absolutely not, the word create. Made has to do with the six days of the potter's work he's doing. He separates the waters under the heavens from the waters above the heavens. In fact, he reserved the flood that was going to happen 1,656 years after Adam in the time of Noah, and it never rained before. It never rained. How do you know it's never rained? The Bible says in Hebrews 11, chapter, By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. It had never rained before. Where did they get their water? The second chapter of Genesis, there was a mist that went up from the ground to water the earth. That's just the beginning of the covenant. I went through a lot of that uh, Wednesday night, get Wednesday night's tape, and you'll see a lot to it. You got the covenant coming up. I don't believe there were many covenants. There was one covenant that God used it started in Genesis 1, 1. When Satan is cast into the earth in the 12th chapter of Genesis, Genesis, excuse me, 12th chapter of Revelation, I do that often. And the 12th chapter of Revelation is a panoramic view. When I say panoramic, when I say panoramic, I mean an overall view because pan was the goddess of all. That's what he was called. Uh, he had another title. He was called the Way. How's that for a name for a god? So when I say panoramic, Satan is cast in the earth by Michael the archangel, a third of the angels. And that is a panoramic view. And to find where Satan comes into the earth, you have to go back to Genesis 1-2. 1-2. And you find, without form, void, and darkness. That is the very nature of Satan. And that's not the nature of create, which is without form and void. Now look over here. 
and uh, and God renews his covenant in the ninth chapter of Genesis. Let's go over there. It's really basically the same covenant with his people. Look here in the ninth chapter of Genesis. All right. Genesis 9. Noah's coming out of the ark. God forms a covenant with him. And you're going to find some things in the covenant that are constant. Here in the ninth chapter, verse 8, Noah's coming out of the ark after 370 days in the flood. It rained 40 days and 40 nights, but they were in the ark 370 days. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, and I behold, I establish my covenant with you, Noah. Here we are, back to the covenant. And with your seed after you, with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl. Let me write this down. I'm going to establish my covenant with the fowl of the air. From one end of the Bible to the other, the king of the fowl is the eagle. And with the cattle. The king of the cattle, the head of the cattle is the ox. So wherever you find these animals, you're going to have the covenant of God being showed. And then he says, with every beast of the earth, the king of the beast was the lion. And then he said, and with you, Noah, with man. With man. Now, when you find these animals, you see God's protective covenant of his people. Now, he's not going to protect our bodies. Our bodies may die. We may have to... Uh, lay our lives down for the cause of Christ, but we will go to be with the Lord. Now, let's go over here to Revelation. Revelation. And God put his bow in the cloud. He put his bow. Keseth. Q-E-S-H-E-T-H. -E there in Genesis 9, that is a war bow so the rainbow is a war bow this is a bow for bending that's what it is it's for bending to shoot arrows the pagans when they would come in from a battle if they put their bow on the wall like this they were still at war if it, excuse me, they were at peace. If they put it like this, they were still at war. Well, God puts his bow in the cloud and says, I'll never destroy the earth again. And that bow is the rainbow. And the goddess of the rainbow was Iris. Now that has to do with the iris of the eye. Has to do with the iris is a wheel 
inside of a wheel. This is going to take us to Ezekiel, the first chapter. That's where we see the wheel and the wheel. The rainbow is a wheel inside of a wheel. Well, that's what the Assyrian chariots were. They were wheels inside of a wheel. And that takes us to the... And they all had six spokes. Uh, and the six spokes... Well, let me draw that different. They all had six spokes. Like this. What you've got with the six spokes is the star of David. When light goes into the eye, when light goes into the eye, it goes in through the lens. I've had my lenses removed and I've had cataract surgery and it goes through the lens this would be the optic nerve the optic nerve and it goes through a lens these lens, my lenses are so clouded when it goes through a lens it breaks off into seven colors and then it goes to the lining of the eye which is called the retina and on the very outer lining of the eye is something called Jacob's membrane. And Jacob's membrane has several hundred thousand hexagonal shaped prisms. When the light goes through these triangular shaped prisms of the lens it breaks off into seven colors seven is the number of divine refinement in the bible seven in the hebrew is the word sheba that's the word seven the queen of sheba was the queen of seven and it is a form of, it comes from the word Shabua. Shabua is the word oath. Now that word oath, in order to take an oath to God, you got to go through a lot of fire. Just because you hear the word and you want to make a decision for Christ and walk down the aisle, it don't mean you're taking an oath. You're saying, I promise I'm going to live for you, the Lord. And God says, yeah, I know you will after I beat you up for about 25 or 30 or 40 years. That's when you'll take an oath. And that word oath means to... You can look this up in your concordance and it'll show you this. Two, seven one's self to seven oneself until you are sevened you have to go through a lot of fire to be sevened we've had a lot of people leave here I had a lady write to us this past week said I left I went off in my sin and I'm sorry and I want to come back well 
Maybe God is just sevening you. We've had other people say, can I come back? Yeah. Well, I went off and I got off in sin and I got into porn and I got into drugs. And Can I come back? Yeah, you can come back. Maybe God is sevening you. Well, when the, the chariot wheels have to do with these right here. Eagle, ox, lion, and man. We'll get to that. And it also has to do with the rainbow or the bow bending, the war bow of God, which is a rainbow. The word rainbow in the Greek is the word iris, the iris of the eye. When you punch somebody in the eye, this inner wheel is retractable and it starts closing up around the eye and the iris starts bending backward and tears come out of the eye when you punch somebody in the eye. God says Israel in Zechariah the second chapter is the apple of my eye. The word apple is the word ba-ba. And he says, my Israel, which would be spiritual as well as literal, is the pupil of my eye. Pupil. That's what Israel is. They're my pupil. What's amazing, those chariot wheels, here's a chariot wheel. Let me show you. The Assyrians invented the chariots and they were inherited by Babylon. Here it is right here. This is a war chariot of the Babylonians. There's the Star David in the middle of it. And this right here, they had on the sides of their chariots, they had the cherubim. They may have a cattle on one side, a lion on the other, or a man or an eagle. And the Assyrians took, when they took Israel into captivity, they said they stole Israel's cherubim. There you are right there. These are cherubim in Assyria, but they got them from Israel. Here's the lion's body. Here's the eagle's beak on the lion. Here's the lion's body and a man's head. It'll be one of these right here. That's God's covenant. Here's a bull's body, a man's head, and you got the same thing all through these cherubim. Let me go ahead and go over here and show you something else. I'll get here's the here's the wheel inside of the wheel and this was a war chariot they said that the war chariots this is what McClinicker and Strong tells you the war chariots had six spokes and the peace chariots had eight what's amazing is the Eucharist 
of the Roman Catholic Church has eight spokes. And they call that a peace chariot. The, the swastika, which is the Big Dipper in its four phases, in four of its particular phases, has eight festivals. That's very interesting. Now, I'm going to have to keep going because if I don't, I'm not going to cover what I want to cover this morning. Now, let's keep looking at these animals. Look over here in Revelation. Revelation. You see, I don't believe the Bible was written as separate books. I believe everything blends together throughout this book. I believe God, it was the Holy Spirit that touched the lives and the minds of these men. Uh, Peter said it was the Holy Spirit came to these godly men. They didn't write their opinions down. They wrote according to the Spirit coming to their mind. These are not Peter's opinions and Paul's opinions. I heard somebody say, well, Peter thought according to this verse that this is going to happen. It didn't happen. Peter didn't think anything. He wrote according to the Holy Spirit. Now, look over here in Revelation. Let's look at these four animals. All right. Revelation 4. You see a rainbow here. You have to understand the meaning of what they meant when they said something. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened to heaven. Heaven, there are three heavens according to the Jews. There's the heavens above us where the birds fly and where the spaceships go. That's in the stratosphere or outer space. That's the heavens, the ones that we can look and see. And then they had the heavens, which is where God was, and we don't know where that is. It could be in a second dimension or something. We don't know where he is. But we know that when we die, we're going to go be with him. And then you had the heavens. You can look this up under heaven or mount because a mount and a heaven mount are heavens heaven and horns all meant power or ruling class. God says the four horns in Zechariah, the first chapter, there were four horns that carried Israel away into captivity. Who was that? Who were the four powers that carried them away? Babylon, Persia, Greece. Rome. It's pretty simple stuff. It's like putting together a puzzle. Four horns. There are two mountains in Scripture that are against each other. What are the two mountains? Huh? Well, Babylon and Babylon and Zion. And they're battling one another. And Babylon is the mother of harlots. Harlot, pornea means idolatry. If you're in EI, 
means idol worship. And Zion is, we are heavenly Jerusalem. We've come to Mount Zion, heavenly Jerusalem, the church. That's us. So that's the church. There's a never-ending battle. And that's the heavens. So when you see heavens throughout Scripture, God has put this where we can understand it. If you live in the first century, you said heavens. And you say, oh, you mean Rome that rules us all. So there was a door open to heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet. When you find the seven angels with seven trumpets in Revelation 8, 9, and 10, it's a voice. What's a trumpet for? It's to tell you what to do. I went to military school, Texas A&M. Uh, it was all compulsory core when I was there in 57, 58. And I know what Reveille is. I heard that every morning. It's time to get up, go to breakfast, fall out. And if you heard that's taps, it meant go to bed. So anytime you find a trumpet, it means a voice. It's talking to you. This is what it means. You know how you find out what these things mean. Go down to the lowest common denominator and find out what everything means. The Bible says in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, how are you going to know what a trumpet is sounding if there's no distinction to the sound? If somebody wakes up and they start playing Stardust, well, that's an old song out of the 30s. You're not going to know whether to get up or lay down or what to do, are you? Huh? Yeah. So, I heard, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, always pay attention to the words, come up hither, and I will show unto thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in the heavens. Anytime you find a throne in Revelation, and the heavens is Israel, when the Bible says there'll be new heavens and new earth, it says that over in the 65th chapter of Isaiah. And God is rejecting Israel in the 65th chapter of Isaiah. He said there'll be a new ruling class and that will be the church. So when you find a throne in heaven, it's talking about the Ark of the Covenant. Because that's where Jesus came down out of the fire and sat upon the throne and ruled Israel. That's the throne it's talking about in Revelation. And it'll show you that here. So, uh, now what's amazing, you're going to find all the things that you found in Genesis, the ninth chapter, you're going to find most of them right here in the fourth cha chapter of Revelation. And a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Who's sitting on the throne? The Lord. And he that sat was to look on like a jasper and sardine stone. I've done a lot of research 
I've even got books on precious stones, but they've changed the the meaning of some of these stones over the millennia. And a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne. A rainbow, then there must be, there was a rainbow in Genesis 9, a war bow. Then there must be these animals somewhere in this chapter, and there is. And it's nothing but showing us God's protection for his people. Round about the throne were four and twenty seats, twenty-four elders. What ruled around this throne in the Old Testament was Aaron. The older brother of Moses was the high priest, and he had twenty-four sons. Not 24 sons, but two sons that brought about 24 uh, families to be the high priest. You'll find that in First Chronicles, the 24th chapter. It names the sons of Eliezer and Ithamar. And between the two, they had 24 sons. Ithamar. So, now let's keep reading here. I'm going to try to get back away from this. And round, you have a rainbow in verse 3, round the throne. And around the throne, you've got these four animals. They had in the veil they had these cherubim sewn these are called cherubim whenever you find these these cherubim that's what they were that I showed you a while ago these are called cherubim you look them up in your encyclopedia and it will tell you they were cherubim there they are it's cherubim. That had to do with God's protection. This is a Syrian cherubim, but I believe it's pretty positive that they took these from Israel because they carried Israel. Assyria carried Israel away into captivity in 722 B.C. You remember that? Northern Israel. So, let's continue here. And these 24 sons of Aaron... They had crowns upon their head there in Leviticus, the ninth chapter, and in the 28th chapter of Exodus. They had gold crowns on their head, said holiness to the Lord, and it was, it, they had a cloth that held it on their forehead. So when it says, out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. Nobody has been there to see that, so I, only way I can swear to that is the Bible says that. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. In front of the throne were seven candlesticks. And the Bible said those candlesticks, in this context, there in Revelation 1 and 20, that these seven candlesticks are the seven churches of Asia. All of this 
is figurative language. You're supposed to understand the figurative language if you know what it means. Now, so you had seven lamps in front of it. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass. It was actually a sea of glass. In Exodus, the 38th chapter and verse 8, Moses told the women of Israel, bring your looking glasses. I've got to make the brazen. Actually, it was called a laver. And as Israel increased and Solomon began to build the temple, they had increased the size that they had to build a sea. And you'll find the sea in 1 Kings, the seventh chapter. A sea that had 2,000 baths. And that was so that these priests could wash at the sea. There it is right there. Here's the sea, the brazen sea. It was just a laver that set up here before when they had a few priests and they needed a larger laver. They would come to, they would go over here, they would wash themselves all over, and then they would go offer a sacrifice on the, on the altar and then they would come back over here, wash their hands and their feet. That's where foot washing comes from. And they would wash their hands. And so the Pharisees took that into their halakha. And they would, when they were going to go in to eat, they would dip their hands down. And as they were going into a room to eat, they had receptacles. They dipped their hands ritualistically into the receptacles. And they asked Jesus, why doesn't your disciples wash their hands before they eat well they had to wash their hands because their hands were their utensils they couldn't worship they couldn't work out here in a septic system and then come in and eat with their hands full of septic they all washed their hands what they meant why don't they ritualistically dip their hands down in those receptacles and jesus said you make the word of god of none effect by your traditions None effect, Akarao, A-K-U-R-O-O. You can find this in the 15th chapter of Matthew. Akarao comes from kurios and the alpha privative. Kurios is the word Lord. The alpha privative negates the word. It means no Lord when you're involved in rituals. Christmas don't have anything to do with Jesus. That's a ritual that belonged in paganism. What's wrong with it? You worship the tree and the gifts, and you don't worship God. It's wrong. Now, let's look at these animals. All right, here they are. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass. This is why it's called the crystal sea. Under, like unto crystal, in the midst of the thrones, round about the throne were four beasts, full of eyes. Full of eyes means very intelligent. Four beasts, full of eyes, before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion. 
first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, which is an ox, which is an ox. And the third beast had the face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. This chapter locks in with the ninth chapter of Genesis. You got the rainbow, the warbow of God. What he's doing is showing us his covenant with us. Now, we find these 24 elders casting their crowns at the feet of him that sits on the throne. What this is showing, it's a transfer. It's a transfer of the priesthood of the priesthood from Aaron the Aaronic priesthood to Mel C H I Z A D E C. The one sitting on the throne is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, and he is of the tribe of Judah. And we find them, these men, in verse 10, and the four and twenty elders are the sons of Aaron that you find in the 24th chapter of First Chronicles. They worship him and live forever, cast their crowns, the one that say holiness to the Lord, to Melchizedek who sits on the throne of God. Sits on the throne. And they cast their crowns saying, only you are worthy to open the seals. Now a seal is a signature. It shows something official. You just could not. If you had got a scroll and it was sealed with a wax, they had a, they would take their, they had a signet ring that they wore. The Caesars did. And when they got ready to seal a scroll, no one could open it but somebody that was worthy. And they would stamp their, their ring either in hot wax or clay and stamp that and no one could break it. And that's what's going to take us into these seals. But before we get to them, I've got to go back to the first chapter of Ezekiel. Because we got these same four beasts. Let me write them on the board again. Got these same four beasts. I'll put them over here on the edge. All right, we've got to go back to Ezekiel. And anywhere you find them, you find God's protection of his people. The lion, 
the ox, the eagle, and man. Now, now let's go back to Ezekiel. I don't know how to give you all this because it's just so much to it. I talked through this when I talked through Revelation, but I see a lot more now than I saw back then. Let's go to Ezekiel, the first chapter. Wherever you find these four beasts, you're going to find God's covenant. You're going to find a rainbow. You're going to find a wheel and a wheel. Now look over here. In Ezekiel, first chapter. First chapter. Oh, me. I'm going to read one verse to you, then I'm going to go back to the front of the chapter. Verse 10. As for the likeness of the four faces that are on the sides of these chariots, and I believe it's war chariots coming in to destroy Israel, who has turned away from God and gone after Baal in the grove. Ezekiel is in Babylon when he's writing this. He's in Babylon. There were three deportations. Deporting Israel out of Israel into Babylon. Deportations. There was one in 605 B.C. And that was a peaceful deportation. And then there was one in 5... 97, 96 B.C. I always put that because they're not exactly sure. That was peaceful. And Israel was rebelling all this time. And then you had, what, they had the final destruction of Israel in 586 B.C. 586, the chariots of Nebuchadnezzar came into Israel. And the Bible says in Zephaniah, I believe it is, that they came into the fish gate. They had a gate on every wall of Jerusalem. On the north of Jerusalem, they had a gate. They had a sheep gate. That's where they would sell sheep. They had a dung gate where you could go buy dung to put on your around your crops to cause them to grow. And they had a fish gate. And the fish gate was on the western side of Jerusalem. On the western side because it would be toward the sea where they would bring the fish in. And Nebuchadnezzar came up. You always had to, anytime the Bible says they came from the north it would say Babylon came from the north and Babylon came from the east. It'll say that differently. Why is that? Because Babylon is over here east of Israel, but all of this in here is the Arabian Desert and you couldn't travel through there. So when Israel is going to be attacked, the only road between 
all of this part of the empire up here and Egypt down here, when they were going to come in and attack Egypt, Israel was their highway. Just run those chariots through there. So that was a road to down here and they were always fighting the people down here and the people up here. So Israel was right in the road. Now, where was I? All right. And the four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four also had the face of an eagle. And thus were their faces and their wings were out, were stretched upward. And two wings of every one were joined one to another. And two covered their bodies. Now let's go back to the first of the chapter. I believe this is Babylon coming in to to destroy Israel. Ezekiel is over here in Babylon. He's been carried away. It's believed he was carried away in this second peaceful deportation. While he's in Babylon, he's having visions of what Israel is doing over here and the apostasy they're involved in. And he's God is showing Ezekiel over here what he's going to do to Israel with that Babylonian army. And he's seeing visions of this over here in Israel. And what he sees in this first chapter is the destruction that's coming. In fact, you need to read the first verse because it shows he's in Babylon. And it came to pass in the 30th year in the fourth month and the fifth day of the month that I was among the captives. He had been taken captive with the rest of Israel, with, with the rest of Judah. This was the captivity of Judah. Northern Israel has been carried away in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians, and they had stolen all of those cherubim and put it on their monuments and so forth. And I was by the river Kibar in Babylon that the heavens were opened and I saw visions that God wanted me to see about what he was going to do to Israel over there in Israel. And the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. Now Jehoiakim was the son he was the son of Jehoiakim you can see him here Jehoiakim was Jehoiakim's son here's the way it went the last righteous king in Israel before they were carried away was Josiah and then he had a son Jehoahaz. He had another son, Jehoiakim. I am, I am. And then Jehoiakim had a son, Jehoiakim. I think one of them spelled with a K. Uh, Jehoiakim 
was the son of Jehoiakim. Josiah's sons was Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim. And, and when Jehoiakim was carried away into captivity, which is talking about here in the second verse of Ezekiel, it's talking about Jehoiakim's captivity. Let me show you something about Jehoiakim. It's very important. Go back over to the 24th chapter of 2 Kings. Very important. Here's the second captivity in the 24th chapter of 2 Kings. Alright, look here in verse 10. The first deportation is the first part of this chapter. We're not going to get into that. Not right now. Verse 10, At that time the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. They meant they encamped all around it, said, You can't go nowhere, you can't have food unless we say so. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiakim, the one it's talking about in Ezekiel, the first chapter, in the second deporting. Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, this is what's important about Jehoiakim. I don't know why I need to get into this or not. Jehoiakim is not the last king. He's the next to the last king of Israel. Zedekiah is the last king. Now, when you get into the worldwide church of God, or British Israelism, they're going to tell you that Jeremiah, that Jeremiah took Zedekiah, Zedekiah's sons were killed before his very eyes. They brought his sons to him and said, take a look at them. You'll never see him again. They killed him while he was, killed his two sons while he was looking. The throne of God was never passed through women. Never. It was only passed through sons of Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah and all their lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is a form of Shalom. That's a, that's a picture of Christ. Well, the worldwide church of God, along with others, along with that guy out of Gravit, Arkansas, said that Jeremiah took Zedekiah's daughters and established God's throne in, first of all, Jeremiah was not of Judah. He was not of Judah. And the throne was never passed through daughters. They said he took Jeremiah's daughters, this is what the Worldwide Church of God, and established the throne of England on Jeremiah's Jeremiah's daughters. That's messed up. Because, and they said that that stone 
that the king that the queen of england sets on and any king of england is the stone that was in the wilderness that brought forth water something wrong with that because there were two and a half to three million people in the desert there had to be when jesus would bring forth water he had to bring a river out of those rocks to take care of two and a half to three million people now that's crazy therefore they called along with the the worldwide church of god and others have called england ephraim that's crazy how can you establish the throne on the son of joseph and Joseph was not of the tribe of Judah. He was of the tribe of Joseph. It's crazy, isn't it? And he, the throne doesn't establish on Joseph. Joseph had the inheritance, but not the throne. I keep saying, Levi had the priesthood. That's the third son of Jacob priesthood Judah had the king would come out of Judah Jesus was the line of Judah David was of the tribe of Judah Jesus was the son of David and then Joseph had the inheritance through his son Ephraim and we see that in Genesis the 48th chapter where Joseph brings his two sons to Jacob to give them the blessing he places his Joseph places his left hand on the son on his eldest son Manasseh so he could lead him to his father's right hand the right hand conferred the blessing and he put his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, his secondborn, so he could get the lesser blessing by the left hand. Joseph was an old, Jacob was an old man. So when Joseph got close to his father, his father went, <laughs> and his son said, not so my father, Manasseh's my firstborn. He said, I know that. I'm an old man, but I ain't crazy. So, Joseph has the inheritance through his son Ephraim, but he's not the king. Comes from Judah. Oh, where, how, did, how did the inheritance get to Jesus? When you read Matthew, the first chapter, Matthew, the first chapter, you see the lineage of Christ of Christ and it starts with David and it goes all the way through David and Solomon of the tribe of Judah and Rehoboam and all the way down and as it's going down through the men it says Jeconias And Jeconias is a contraction for 
Jehovah Ken. A contraction is a nickname or something short for another name. The throne was established through Jehovah Ken, not Zedekiah. He acted like a heathen. God killed him, took him to Babylon in chains, blinded. That's why this thing of, now how did I get there? I don't know, but I need to go back. I got there looking at Jehoiakim in the first chapter of Ezekiel. When you get over to, well, let me read the rest of this in 1 Kings. In 1 Kings. In fact, I'm kind of tie this together for you. I don't have time to do all of it. But if you go to the last chapter of Jeremiah, last chapter, Jeremiah, we're going to see what happens to Jack Jehoiakim when he gets to Jerusalem, I mean, when he gets to Babylon. Verse 31, this 52nd chapter. And it came to pass in the seventh and thirtieth year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, in the five and twentieth day of the month, that Ebel Merodach, that's the king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, lifted up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, brought him forth out of prison, spake kindly unto him, and set his throne above the throne of the kings that were with him in Babylon. He gives Jehoiakim the honor, and out of Jehoiakim, as Jeconias, will come Jesus. And changed his prison garments, and he did eat continually bread before this king of Babylon all the days of his life. For his diet... There were continual diet given to him of the king of Babylon every day, a portion unto the day of his death, all the days of his life. And just quickly turn to Matthew, the first chapter. I like to bring this out to let people know the throne was not passed through the daughters of Jeremiah. It's passed through Jehoiakim. And when you go over here to Matthew, the first chapter, you see... I couldn't, I really needed to let you see this without going further. And we see in Matthew, the first chapter, David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, Judas, Judas, Pharaoh, then Eshram, then Amram, and then Abinadab, then Naasan, begat Salmon, Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab in the fifth verse, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba by name, and Solomon begat Rehoboam, Rehoboam begat Abiah, Abiah begat Asa, Asa begat Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begat Joram, Joram begat Hosias, or Isaiah, Hosias, Beget Jotham, Jotham beget Achaz, Achaz. These are all king lineage of Judah. And Achaz beget Hezekiah, 
Hezekiah begat Manasseh, Manasseh begat Ammon, Ammon begat Josias, Josias begat Jeconias, which is Jehoiakim. He's the lineage of Judah, not Zedekiah. I don't know if that you can see that. Can can you see that? It's not the way the worldwide church of God says. It went through Jehoiakim, not Zedekiah. Now, let's get back to the first chapter of Ezekiel. I'm sorry I can't do this all at once. I I get into the scripture. How much time do I have, Mike? It's going to take me a long time to get through this. I was going to get to the tithe on this this morning, and it's connected directly to this. Do I believe in it? Absolutely. All right. Ezekiel. You know the only problem you need to understand Ezekiel or, or Revelation? you got to know what they meant when they said something, don't you? Can you see that about the throne was established through Jehoiakim? Can you see that? Is that not hard? But you got to know who these guys are as you're studying them. Let me get back to Second Kings, the 24th chapter. There's something I've got to bring out to you. All right. It may take me a long time to get through here. All right. Second Kings. Now, this is particularly important. You've got to understand this. 2 Kings 24, back to Je Jehoiakim. C-H-I-N. Uh, his father was Jehoiakim. The only difference in their name is the M and the N on the end of their name. All right. Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, verse 12 of chapter 24, 2 Kings, went out of, to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his princes and his officers, and the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. So Jehoiakim's headed to Babylon. Some other people are headed with him, and this is important to know. He carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord. So when Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he carries away the treasures of the house. In the 36th chapter of Second Chronicles, many of the treasures have already been carried away in the second deportation. And the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord as the Lord has said. So they're carrying away everything that's precious to the Jews. And he carried away all of Jerusalem, all the princes, all the mighty men, the guys that could arm themselves against the king of Babylon. And even 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths why are they carrying the craftsmen and smiths away? So they can't make weapons. They can't make plows. They're carrying away 
everybody and they're going to leave nothing but the poor. But they say that. And none remain save the poorest sort of the people of the land. The poorest. And he carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon and the king's mother and the king's wives and his officers and the mighty of the land and those carried he into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. They needed another king. Josiah's got one more son that hasn't been king. And it tells about it here. And all the men of might, even 7,000 craftsmen and smiths, and a thousand, all that were strong and apt for war, even the king of Babylon, brought captives to Babylon. So when it comes time to come attack Jerusalem and southern Judah, they're going to have no defense. Boy, he's going to bring his armies back in 586 and slaughter Israel. You'll find that in the 26th, the, the 46th chapter of Second Chronicles and the 25th chapter of Second Kings. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah his father's brother. His father's brother. That was Zedekiah and his name turned his name to Zedekiah and this was the pansiest king that ever lived in Babylon. Jeremiah was walking through the streets telling, Repent! Babylon is going to be overthrown! Babylon is going to overthrow Israel! Nebuchadnezzar is on his way! And the people said, Can we kill this Jeremiah? The princes of Israel said, Look, Can we kill him? He's, he's just tearing up our hearts and disheartening us. And stupid Zedekiah said, You can hang him in the mire. It's believed that the mire was human waste. They took Jeremiah and hung him in the mire. That fellow over there and that just passed away a while back drew that picture on the back, painted that picture of Jeremiah hanging in the mire. I said, this is where Christianity begins at the bottom of the picture. You think you're having a hard time? Have you, has anybody ever hung you in human waste? You had no place to go? That was Jeremiah. When they came to Babylon in the 40th chapter of Jeremiah, all that's left, it's 586 B.C., all that's left is the poor people. That's all that's there. But they come into town. Read it in the 40th chapter of Jeremiah. Nebuchadnezzar had heard how honorable Jeremiah was. He tried to warn the people. See, Israel wasn't just unfaithful to God. They were unfaithful to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He was their savior. All you had to do was pay tribute to the king, and he would come with his armies and defend you. But he needed tribute or taxes of some kind. Tribute was just taxes so they could repair roads and do the things they needed to do. Israel quit paying tribute to the king. 
And Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man in the world at that time. And they were running over to Pharaoh Necho in Egypt. Jeremiah said, don't go to Egypt. You go to Egypt, God will have a, a Babylonian soldier chase you down and kill you where you stand. Go to Babylon. You got to go over there for 70 years so I can cause the land to replenish because they had... Boy, this takes us to the 70 weeks. They had a sabbatical year every 70 years. And they said, we don't want to keep those sabbatical years. If you don't have crop rotation out in the Midwest, you don't have a farm agent come out there and tell you what kind of manure you need to put in there. We'd burn up the crops in the Midwest, in Kansas and Nebraska. We've got to have somebody to regulate that. God's regulation was every seven years, you leave the land alone. In Leviticus, the 25th chapter, that's tell you about the sabbatical years. Now, when you look at when Nebuchadnezzar, not Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, he was Nebuchadnezzar's commanding general. He was called Captain of the Host. When Nebuchadnezzar came in, he went to Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, the king told me to do right by you and to take care of you. You tried to warn these people, and they didn't listen. He said, Nebuchadnezzar told him, you watch out for Jeremiah and take care of him. And Jeremiah, he said, you can come to Babylon. We'll give you land. You can stay here and we'll give you land. And Jeremiah said, Thank you, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar. And tell King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to stay here with these needy people. What was left in 586 was the poor. And Israel had been leveled. The buildings had been torn down. Those great big blocks that the temple was built on had been pulled down by the king. They would put these big ropes around and pull them down. And they would plow through the city, just plow it up, sow it with salt so nothing would grow there. And in a matter of months, it looked like a wasteland. And Jeremiah said, I'll stay here. Now let's go back over to Ezekiel, the first chapter. I keep trying to get through that chapter. So Zedekiah was the son of Josiah, right? Zedekiah. Yeah. The son of Josiah. Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, Zedekiah was a pansy. I mean, just a sissy king. Because Jeremiah would be preaching through the land and the princes of Israel would say let's kill him he'd say no you can hang him in the mire and when he, he'd hear the rumblings of the people that Nebuchadnezzar was coming and he would say Jeremiah Zedekiah would say somebody go get Jeremiah out of the mire and bring him to me I need to ask him if he knows anything from God he'd bring Jeremiah in stinking out of that mire See, Jeremiah, have you heard a word from God? Yes! 
Nebuchadnezzar's on the way, you fool. Might as well have said that. And he said, okay, take him back to the mire. He trusted Jeremiah's words. He trusted Jeremiah being a prophet of God, but he wouldn't do what he said. Unbelievable. Now go back to Ezekiel. How much time do I have, Mike? 20. I want to show you that this is a picture of the chariots coming in. What Ezekiel is telling them, here's what's going to happen to you. Let's continue to read. Verse 2, In the fifth day of the month, when it was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, God wants to make sure that we know that Jehoiakim is alive and well because he's going to be the ancestor through which God brings this office of king to Jesus in that first chapter of Matthew. The word of the Lord came expressed into Ezekiel, the priest. Ezekiel has to be a descendant of Aaron to be a priest. And the son of Buzi in the land of Babylon, in the land of the Chaldeans. Chaldean is another name for Babylon. By the river Kibar, and the hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel. And I looked, this is Ezekiel, I looked and behold a whirlwind came out of the north. Whirlwind was chariots. Going to come from Babylon. They got to come up here and attack Israel from the north. They come from the east, but their direct attack comes from the north. And a whirlwind was the same thing as chariots. Well, let me show you this. Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5. Go to Isaiah 5. Verse 28. It, it takes a long time to learn what all these things mean. You have to do a lot of study and connecting things together. I don't think you'll hear this in any church or from any professor in America. I didn't get this from professors. In Isaiah 5, verse 28, we're talking about whirlwinds. Speaking of... Speaking of Israel being attacked by evil men, by nation from afar, in verse 26, he will lift up an ensign to the nations from afar and will hiss or make fun of, shirak, shrill, or make cat calls or scorn calls unto them from the end of the earth. And behold, they come, they shall come with speed swiftly. Talking about the Assyrians here because Isaiah is prophesying about the Assyrians coming in and carrying northern Israel away. None shall be weary nor stumble among them. None shall be slumbering or sleep talking about those Assyrians coming in to, to attack Israel. 
neither shall the girdle of their loins be loosed, nor the latchet of their shoes be broken, whose arrows are sharp, all their bows bent, their horses' hooves shall be counted like flint, and their wheels like whirlwinds. Because when a chariot comes, it's stirring up little whirlwinds everywhere it goes. And go over here to Jeremiah 4. Jeremiah 4 and verse 13. This is now when you're in Jeremiah. Let me just make this clear to you. Jeremiah prophesied for 40 years. Jeremiah, you're talking about southern Judah and the prophecy of them being carried away by Babylon. And Jeremiah prophesied from around 626 to 586 B.C. That's 40 years. When you're reading Isaiah, Isaiah is talking about 722 when the Assyrians come in and carry northern Israel away. So Isaiah was talking about northern Israel, the Assyrians. Isaiah's talking, uh, Jeremiah's talking about southern Judah. Look at Jeremiah 4, verse 13. Uh, read verse 12. Even a full wind from those places shall come unto me. Winds were considered armies. God said an east wind will come in and destroy Israel. East wind was talking about Babylon. And I'll go into that next week. And we'll have sentence against them. Verse 13. Behold... He shall come up as clouds, and his chariot shall be as a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe unto us, Israel, Judah. For we are spoiled. Spoiled means to take away into captivity. Back to Ezekiel. Let me give you one more. Habakkuk 3, 14. I can't get through all this. I'm sorry. Habakkuk 3, 14. Thou did strike through with his staves the head of his villages. Speaking of northern Israel that came out as a whirlwind to scatter me talking about Israel their rejoicing was to devour the poor secretly and that's what people want to do with us back to Ezekiel the first chapter verse 4 I looked and behold a whirlwind came out of the north a great cloud of fire enfolding itself. 
and brightness was about it and out of the middle of these chariots as the color of amber out of the midst of the fire what is that talking about amber is yellow what's going to refine us is the yellow it's just like when Noah went into the ark and they had to pitch the ark within and without with pitch pitch was asphalt in its natural state so they go on the ark they pitch the ark within and without with pitch there's a lot of speculation as to what first word pitch is a verb second word pitch is a noun first word pitch is the word kafar means to cover to cover second word pitch is kofur it means to stain and to die has the exact same meaning as baptized baptized comes from baptizo which is a means to cover and it'll tell you in your strongs to look at bapto means to stain and to die a blood baptism was a martyrdom was a death was a death was to be martyred can you be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with Jesus said to James and John he didn't mean are you able to be dipped in water can you undergo the blood baptism I'm going to die tomorrow can you do that let me ask you can you do that well, you have to somewhere in your life. You have to be blood baptized. You have to accept the persecution that people bring your way. I said to some guys last night, I said, the reason most people don't want to witness, they're afraid. They're going to be embarrassed. What you have to do, you've got to learn these words. If you learn the words and learn the truth, you become very brave and very bold. It's like you're the adult and they're all children because the world doesn't know anything about God. They don't know anything about the Greek language. When I go into a grocery store down here, I feel like I'm in charge. Nobody can say anything to me. I don't have a thousand answers for them. I don't mean that. The boast, I've spent 63 years studying the Bible. And I've got answers. I can't even get through a lesson without taking off in a dozen directions or dozens of directions. What gives you confidence is learning the truth. Learn these Greek words. Use them on people. You say, well, I think that word means so-and-so. And if they don't want to hear it, leave them alone.
pitch the ark with pitch. They say that pitch, some say it comes out of the ground, but it was a red stained dye. Red stain. And you see, the, the ark wasn't, didn't look like that picture on the back wall there. The ark looked like a great big casket, what it looked like. Had one window at the top. It was, it was 30 high, 50 wide, 50 cubits wide, 300 cubits long. Cubit was the distance from the king's elbow to the tip of his finger, about a foot and a half. So it was 300 cubits long. It was 450 feet long. It looked like a great big box, red box. It was red, and they were in the ark 350 days. Uh, not 350, 370, excuse me. 370 days. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. 40 and 40. But they were there 370 days. Wouldn't you call that a trial? All you could do was smell all the urine and the dung from the animals inside the three levels of the ark. Wouldn't you call that a fiery trial? Every time you find fiery trial the color of fire from one end of the Bible to the other is yellow remember these in the middle of these chariots these whirlwind was the color of amber that's yellow and if you if you take red in an arc 370 days with yellow, what do you get when you cross red with yellow? Huh? You get orange. Boy, I love this. Orange is a Latin word. A-R-U-W-M. It means gold. That's what orange means. Just next time you go to the store, say, I want some goals. Because that's what it means. The trial of your faith is more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried by fire. We have to have the amber in our life when we are clothed in the blood of Christ. If, if baptism is water, forget all of this. Baptism is blood. He's washed us from our sins on his own blood. Are you washed in the blood? And we don't even know what that means. Now, go back here. Out of it was the color of yellow. In the chariot wheels. And in the human eye, where is the color of yellow? Where is it? When you look at the chariot wheels of the ancient world, 
Most of them were called iron chariots because they had those little swords coming out of the sides here. Little swords. And you couldn't stand before iron chariots. They would go through the crowd and just rip bodies all to pieces. And Nahum says, when those chariots came into Israel, they ran like fire. The color of fire is yellow. They were flashing those scythes, cutting down the people. And that was a picture of God's covenant with his people. He's going to retain his people. The poor stayed there in Israel. The king didn't even want the poor. He just wanted those that could build swords and come against him. Jeremiah said, I'll stay with the poor. I don't have time to get to the rest of this. Let's read some of it. Look, behold, a whirlwind came out of the north and a great cloud and fire enfolding itself. Brightness was about it and out of the middle of the wheels of the chariots was the color of yellow. In the human eye, where's the color of yellow? You got the wheel in the wheel or the iris. This one's retractable here. You put somebody in the eye, this thing start closing up. That's the iris. The iris of the eye is a wheel in a wheel. Where's the yellow? Right in the back of the eye. Here's the optic nerve. There's the... You got the cornea up here. You got the lenses right here. That's what they replaced in my eye that gets hazy. Everything had a sepia color to it. I drive down the road. I couldn't even see my hood on them. I figured I better do something, have this fixed. And so they did cataract operation on both eyes back in 87. Right, and these are hexagonal shaped prisms. They're one one hundredth of an inch thick. And they are hexagonal, they're not hexagonal, they're triangular shaped prisms. These are hexagonal shaped prisms and directly in the back of the eye just straight back is something called the fovea centralis. You can get that out of Grey's Anatomy. I got that up here. That's not a TV show. That's a book. First year medical students use to understand the anatomy of the body. I got that out of here. The Sophobia centralis is called the yellow spot. That's the unofficial term. Yellow spot. That begins the refining of the vision. When you see things, you do not see shapes. You see refined colors. That's what you see. And colors come from seven colors. All colors come from the seven. I'm about running out of time here. I got to get back to the tenth chapter of Ezekiel because we got these four beasts here in the tenth chapter. 
But I got to get to the ninth chapter, which is an angel of the Lord going through Israel, putting the mark on all of God's people. That's going to equate Ezekiel 9. 9 is going to equal Revelation 7. You won't believe how that ties together because the angels are over here are going to mark or seal God's people, 12,000 out of each tribe, and that's not literal Israel. And I got to get to there. I got to get to this in Revelation 7 to explain this in Ezekiel 9. But I got to go through the entire chapters, and if you want to know what that's about, come back next week. Am I out of time? Huh? I didn't get to finish Ezekiel, the first chapter, but you saw that the four animals are there. They're also in the in the tenth chapter. That has to do with God's covenant protection of His people, not physical protection, spiritual protection. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your truth. I love this word. Don't let anybody stop it or interfere with it. Stop any of the enemies that would try to stop these truths. Fight our battles for us. We can't fight, Lord. Only you can. Let us cheer like family. We'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.